I was on the phone to a friend I've known for a very long time, if he does, because I know he does sometimes listen to um, uh, my sermons, bless him, um, he must be desperate. Um, I have to give an apology to you, Kenneth, if you're listening to this, because you're going to be named and shamed. That's the problem with the internet. Uh, I was on the phone to my friend, who I've known for a long time, since 1978, since we went to university, and in the province of God, a whole number of us who got together then went on to serve God in the full-time ministry of the church, and so he's minister in a church down in Bridge Weir. And at that point, at that point, this is back 2014, 2015, he was marking, well, he had marked 25 years in the ministry, and the congregation were keen to give him a gift. And the gift, he was told what the gift was. You were kind enough to give me a gift, and, you know, that was generous, and you gave it to me, and that was that. But they, they told him what the gift was. The gift was that he was to go to a conference. I, I, I think Ian felt, felt that maybe they were hinting that he could do with some fresh ideas. <laughs> and it wasn't just any old conference. It was a conference in the United States of America, in Cleveland and in Ohio a conference of ministers there. And before that, he was to go, well, they encouraged him to go because the flights were arranged to go to New York and to meet with people of the Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York. Some of you know who I'm talking about, others you won't. That doesn't really matter in a sense. He wasn't keen to go. He's not, um, he's, he's very committed to his wife and to his family. He wasn't somebody who had journeyed away very much, unlike my dear wife who'd let me go off and do things. Um, they didn't do that. And so he really didn't want to go. And at the end of the day, who can blame him? Who wants to wander about New York yourself? It could be rather lonely and also a wee bit frightening. And so he was lamenting the fact that he felt he'd need to do this, but he didn't really want to do it. And me, in a generous and perhaps sometimes during the time we were away, foolish moment, I thought, yes, I'll come with you. So there we were on the plane to New York. We flew down to London and flew over. And even on the journey over to New York, Kenneth, I could see you weren't happy. And not because you had my company, but because you were away from home. And it was going to be the case we were going, doing this, and getting back as quick as possible. I would have been tempted to add a wee day on just for a wee bit, kind of, you know, but boys' time together. But no, there was not to be none of that. We were going, we are going to do what we are meant to do and come back. So we went to New York. Um, we went to the offices of Redeemer Presbyterian Church. And on the Sunday, we visited various congregations. We actually visited three churches. We are intending to visit Four, very zealous, three of Redeemer Presbyterian and one of Times Square Church. Some of you remember the story of the cross and the switchblade, Nicky Cruz, all the rest of David Wilkinson. Well, that was the church that was founded. They took over a theater, which had been a theater of somewhat disrepute or ill repute, and they've made it into a church. Anyway, in the morning, we went to one congregation and further down in New York. We were going to visit another church, I have to tell you. I could understand, neither of us could understand what the lady behind the counter in the underground was telling us. I went and asked her and came back. She was an African-American. I came back. The Kenneth then went. She still, I then went, and we thought if we went the fourth time, she would call for the police. Or else she'd put us on a train for the Bronx. And so we decided we would have to miss out in that church. We went to Times Square in the afternoon, and we went to a church, one of the gatherings of the church off Park Avenue in the afternoon. We also visited New York. 
Kenneth likes to see the sights, good for him. Um, you'll know me come 10 o'clock after we'd been on the road since half past seven. I really needed a coffee, but that didn't come into your plans, Kenneth. And we kept going. We kept going to the very end. I did suggest as a romantic gesture that we would go on a little horse and trap round um, Central Park. I think he thought that was a step too far. We had a day of touring. On the Sunday night, we went up the Empire State Building. We queued up. We were told to go late on the Sunday night. We went up. We got to the, the second top floor. I'm looking at Evan because he will never know what I'm talking about. There is a floor above that where the Zeppelin airships were originally meant to dock. And I thought, well, I'll never be back in New York. I better go. But this time, Kenneth was completely fed up. And if you remember, Kenneth, you walked home and left me to come back to the hotel up, up, up Broadway at half past one in the morning. Bless you, brother. And we're still friends. I was just speaking to him last week. A good friend. Journeying with friends can be interesting, can't it? I'm looking at Meryl here. <laughs> I don't know why, but you know. We think we know somebody till we spend a week or ten days or even worse, a fortnight. But when we do that, we discover all sorts of things. Things that, within, that usually in a couple of hours or an evening together are, are fine, when it's spread out with a degree of intensity, it you know, can bring out all sorts of things. I think both of us, the time we arrived at Cleveland in the house we were staying, we both said, right, you're going there, and I'm going there. We disappeared into our own rooms for a time of peace and quiet. Because no doubt there were things that irritated me um, by Kenneth, but no doubt... Kenneth found me irritating as well, especially my propensity to spend money and just kind of have coffees and lunches wherever. We discover things about each other. And yet, I hope anyway, I certainly enjoyed it. And I'll probably never be back in the United States, sorry about that, but I'll never be back in the USA, and it was a great conference. Challenging journeys. We are reading this morning of the start of Paul, became known as Paul's missionary journeys. And you'll notice that this one we're going to be reflecting upon, and indeed if you read on in the book of Acts, the other journeys he went on, he didn't go on his own. For many, many same reasons, actually, that like Kenneth didn't want to go to New York on his own. There's something about having company. If it's not your husband or wife, then it's a colleague, a friend. Somebody that you share a history with and, and just simply the companionship to be able to ask with underground, to be able to stand at the airport and somebody can go to the toilet where you're guarding the cases, all these kind of things. We, we need company. We're made to be like that. And it's interesting, as we read the story last Sunday, God very much was in the business of bringing people together. People who were by nature, and we'll see this probably more next week, by nature were actually very different. And eventually, of course, we know, probably if you know the story, there was a disagreement between Barnabas and Paul. But I'll say that'll be for next week. But God takes people who often are different and blends them together because in that variety, in that difference, in that expression of that, he can do amazing and wonderful things. And so we're looking at the journey, the journey that Paul, Saul as he was, and Barnabas went on. And it was actually all about moving about. You see, when the Spirit of God is at work, things start happening. Partnerships are formed. Relationships are created and deepened. And 
the good news of Jesus, the kingdom spreads out. The little, we've often used this illustration, the dropping of maybe even just a little speck practically into a pool of water and the ripples spread out. Well, that's what's happening here. We saw last Sunday that Barnabas first appears in the midst of a time when the church is facing persecution, the persecution that's obviously going to increase. But nonetheless, we're told way back in chapter 4 that despite the challenges of all of that, the church was growing. Chapter 4 and verse 33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. The power of God released in the resurrection of Jesus breaks down barriers, restores lives, creates new communities, and gives people a passion for others. And that's why Barnabas comes on the scene, somebody who's heard and knows the grace of God. He gives generously to the church. He's generous in his concern for the church. When he goes to Antioch, he searches out Paul. He brings them into the fellowship of Jerusalem and then brings them into the church in Antioch. And last Sunday we saw of how when they were together, God blessed that. And as we read just earlier on in the service, God blessed that time. And for a whole year, we're told in Acts chapter 11, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people and their disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. That's the kind of fruit that's meant to be borne by partnerships. That's the kind of fruit that's meant to be seen in the life of God's people together. It may not be the way there was in the book of Acts where people were becoming believers left, right, and center, but there should be signs of God at work. The ones or twos who hear and receive the grace of Jesus, that aroma of Christ, which is a sweet incense to those who are being saved, as well as a stench to those who are lost. And so that partnership develops between Saul and Barnabas. And so we read that they go on a journey. The first journey was to meet the needs of others. We see that at the end of Acts chapter 11. We read earlier during that time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem, verse 27 to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And Luke, writing this just to give that wee historical validity, says this happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea, and this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. There is a tangible response, and Barnabas and Saul go on a journey together, a journey back to Jerusalem. And in that journey, they carry a gift, a practical gift, a financial gift but they also bring greetings from the church in Antioch and share with the church in Antioch all that's happening. A tangible experience of that was just last year when we went on holiday to Italy, and we were able to see Fabri and the children. Elaine was working, and as you know, they're one of our missionary partners based in Verona, in a very challenging situation there. We offered to have them. We have to say, because of COVID, we didn't say we were going to go on the train. We have done that in the past. We went to Italy, going on the train and visited them. But this time we said, well, you come in the car and we'll have you. And Fabri came with the kids and we supported them to have a night with us and, and, and a couple of days with us. And yes, we handed over a gift. 
There had been a very generous gift from this congregation given earlier in the year, a gift that was a great blessing to them. And there was a smaller gift, a more tangible cash gift, you might say, that I was able to pass on to them from our midweek meeting. But you know what really meant much to Fabry and to the children wasn't even the money, although that was incredibly generous and helped them in a number of very vital ways. Who? You, when the gift was given earlier on in the year that they were going to be locked down with COVID. But what really blessed them was just spending time with them, playing with the children, spending time with Fabry, listening to what was going on and the challenges. You see, my friends, those journeys, those partnerships, those relationships, that sense of being part of one church, one faith, one Lord, extends far beyond the narrow confines of this congregation. We're part of that global church. Some of us may have experienced that when we've gone on holiday and we've never worshipped with people in another congregational setting. We may have been an English-speaking congregation, but people from all different cultures and backgrounds. We may not have been. I remember being in a church in Brazil, and it was in Portuguese, and I didn't understand a word, really, apart from the dear saint brother who was sitting beside me who tried to translate what the preacher was saying and what the hymns were about. But right away, I knew I was amongst the company of God's people. And in my spirit, although I didn't fully understand what the preacher was saying, I knew that God's word was being preached and the spirit was moving. A few years ago, and I was just reminded this other day, we had a couple of Chinese ladies popped into the church once. They were tourists, but they were believers and they came in. And again, especially my broad Lanarkshire accent, we need to have the gift of interpretation. And yet I remember speaking to them after this service and in their halting English, they touched their hearts. For the you they had been amongst the Lord's people on the Lord's day. That's the kind of partnerships, dynamic, supernatural, practical, generous. And that was the kind of journey and partnership that Barnabas and Saul were involved in when they returned to the church in Jerusalem. And how that was needed. We don't have time. Read fully more yourself later on perhaps today get into the habit of taking time on a Sunday to maybe spend more time reading the Bible reading the stories of God and read on what happens in chapter 12 where Peter is imprisoned perhaps even worse James is martyred and the church looks as if it's going to face a complete beheading of its leaders but God mightily moves. A prayer meeting is called. And interesting enough, if you want to look at verse 12 of chapter 12, the prayer meeting, we're told, was in the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And ironically, read the story more fully. They're praying for Peter's release when he is miraculously released and knocks on the door. And the servant goes and says, oh, comes back into the prayer and says, oh, it's Peter, Peter, Peter. And they think, oh, flip, you must have lost your marbles. It must be his, his, his angel or his ghost. Read the story. It's actually quite interesting. They were praying for his release and when it actually happened, they hardly believed it. That's just like us, isn't it? But in the midst of this drastic, dramatic situation where Peter actually disappears from the scene. So we read of that in verse 17. Tell James and the brothers about this, Peter says, and then he leaves for another place and he disappears from the scene. God brings in Saul, Paul, and Barnabas. You see, he knows what's happening. 
There's those divine partnerships, that divine setting, those times, those connections. Perhaps people that we never view, and they suddenly they're brought across our path, and we find that they're a great blessing and help to us in times of need. All of that is being played out in that journey that Paul and Barnabas made to Jerusalem. But we move on. It was a practical provision that was being offered to the church. But the return, so we move on to the end of chapter 12, and we read the word of God continues to increase and spread, verse 24, and Barnabas and Saul had finished their work, their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. And in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Cognesia, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. One of the strains in any partnership, any friendship, any journey together is that we both have, the two people have very different ideas of what they want to do. One wants to go and visit this site. One wants to spend time sitting on the beach. One likes the local food. Other people want to have your pie, beans, and chips, wherever you are, you know? And those things which, again, normally, perhaps in other situations you can accommodate, suddenly become stressful when you're all together. And you perhaps just have to mutually agree to disagree, as happened that Sunday night up the Empire State Building. One went home, and one went up to the very top. And here we have a church where there was different personalities, different people. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod Tatra. We have a right range of people. And they're Saul. And you can imagine the meetings, a bit like the church session or something else. You can imagine the meetings. These men, these leaders would all have been different. They would all have different experiences of the grace of God. Saul was dramatically converted on the road to Damascus. Others who came perhaps in a quieter way to acknowledge Jesus. And yet they were one. God was bringing them together in a partnership. And notice what the emphasis is. They were worshiping the Lord. They were fasting and praying. They were together in fellowship. And it was then, it was then that God, by the Holy Spirit, spoke into that group and reminded them, in a sense, of what Barnabas and Saul were called to do. Further back in the book of Acts, we read of that when Saul is converted and he is blinded and he is sent, he goes, arrives at Damascus and Ananias is commissioned to go and to minister to him. And in Acts 9 and verse 11, the Lord tells Ananias, go to the house of Judas and Straight Street, ask for a man from Tarshish named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And Ananias answers, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Yes, Ananias, swallow your reservations. 
put aside your prejudice, perhaps based on facts, and go and get alongside this fellow because he's the one who's going to carry my name before the Gentiles. Of course, Ananias does it. Again, a sign of partnership in the gospel. Well, when the church meets in Antioch, that's what they're reminded to do. Set apart for me, not just Saul, but Barnabas and Saul. Notice Barnabas comes first at this point. Barnabas and Saul, for to the work to which I have called them. And so they're going to be called on a journey, to go on another journey. And this journey has quite a specific purpose. It's the purpose of making Jesus known to those who don't know him. And you know, my friends, that's the calling, not just of evangelists, not just those who are involved in leadership within a church or within a denomination. It's a calling for all of us in word and deed. We're all commissioned to be ambassadors of Christ. We may not preach from our pulpit or speak publicly on the open domain of the politics or the ethical issues of the age, but in our working environment, beside our colleagues and friends, within our community, we can all carry out that work to which we've been called, bearing witness to Jesus, to the kingdom perspective. That came home to me. It's come home to me recently because that phrase I mentioned in my prayer, some of you, those of you a bit younger will know what the one I mean, that best life possible. And I've noticed on various social media platforms, I do dip in occasionally. That's the thing that especially people in their 30s are talking about, best life possible. And so it's beautiful scenes of some part in the world or it's some activity, usually extreme activity. Or yes, it's John Waite dancing with his male partner and Strictly Come Dancing last night. Best life possible. And you can see the enthusiasm and they're filled with wonder. My friends, we of all people, are called to bear witness to the best life possible, not as the world states as the best life, self-satisfaction or aggrandizement, but the life of service, the way of Jesus. And so on Barnabas, we're going to go on a journey with the purpose of doing that. And as we conclude, I'm really just going to touch upon that because we're going to look more next Sunday, they go off to Cyprus. Not in their holidays, not with their case packed and their suntan lotion and their boot for lying on the beach or beside the pool, but they go with a specific purpose. They were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, and John was with them as their helper. They were commissioned to proclaim the word of God. It's by the foolishness of preaching, Paul later tells us, that God is pleased to bring men and women to faith. There can be a journey in that. There can be relationships founded through that and deepened through that. But it is God's word in preaching, in proclamation, in life, and in witnesses made known that God draws us to himself. That's why we're on the internet and we have this online presence. That's why we need to know the Bible for ourselves and are able to share it. Look what happens in the story as we close. God is at work. 
a very important fellow, the proconsul, an intelligent man, Sergius Paulus, is thinking about life. He's asking questions about what it's all about. He had, in many ways, a best life. He had a good job. He would probably have a lovely Roman villa to live in and all the rest of it, but he wasn't satisfied. My friends, the day will come when many will discover that this so-called best life can't last forever, and they're left with what? The consequences of broken relationships, of dreams unfulfilled, of the consequences in their body and soul of things done or not done. All of that will be played out. And questions are asked. And in our partnership for the gospel, we need that sensitivity of the Spirit so we know what to say and how to say it. And through that proclamation, as I say, next Sunday we'll look at the stories more fully. God brings to himself that man. Our journeys can be challenging, can't they? You know the best part of the journey that we had with Kenneth and I? Actually, in many ways, it was great to hear speaking and great to see different parts of the church and worship with a whole range. Actually, one says the best part was actually the Times Square Church where there was a large African-American congregation. My friends, they know how really to enter into the spirit of things. The balcony was moving. But actually, after that, it was when we spoke to the minister of Park Church outside of Cleveland. He's a Scotsman. He was minister of Hamilton Baptist Church for a number of years. And we were in a queue, and the people we were staying with said, oh, he'll want to see you. And we saw this queue, both Kenneth and I said, oh, it doesn't matter. There's plenty of folk want to talk to him. And you can see it. And like, I have to confess, Ian, like Graham, like men and ministers, he was smiling, and he was listening, and he was being very kind of, you know, as you do, people come and speak to you and all the rest of it. But eventually, we got to the front of the queue, and the guy we were staying with says, here's two of your friends from Scotland. And right away, his face just broke into a smile. You've come to see me, he said. I said, well. <laughs> Partnership and the bonds of fellowship. Interesting enough, he asked what church I came from. I asked my friend his church. I asked my church. I said, part church. I said, oh, I know about you. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you leave the church of Scotland? It's amazing how you traveled. Blessed are the ties that bind our hearts in Christian love. And God has a purpose for that. God provides for that. And God wants through that his word, his kingdom to be made known. And we'll think more about that next week. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for those ties of Christian fellowship. Yes, here within this congregation, but also that wider bond of love and of mutual care and service. As I said earlier, perhaps when we've been in holiday, or we've been somewhere and we've worshipped with others. And even if we didn't fully understand all that was happening because it was a different tradition or a different language, and yet we were united in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you bring people across our paths. And we don't know what's going to happen the same way as 
Barnabas and Paul came to the church in Jerusalem at a time of major crisis, not only to provide money, but just to be on hand. So you bring people across our paths. You brought people into this congregation for a particular time and season. And so we thank you for that and for those partnerships and relationships. How we ask, O Holy Spirit, that you would come amongst us as we worship together and that you would continue to reveal your will for us as a people and for the future as you call us to fulfill the great missionary purpose of the church to proclaim Jesus Christ to reveal that life in its fullness that, Lord Jesus, you came to bring. And so we offer ourselves, we offer our relationships, we offer the partnerships that you have created amongst us and indeed throughout our world. Own us and use us for your great purpose, the building of the kingdom of Jesus. For his name's sake. Amen.